Today's episode of Throwdown Thursday is brought to you by the Cenobite Travel Agency. We've got such sights to show you. Welcome to episode 83-ish of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. Good job, asshole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for those of you who are joining us for the first time, my name is Patrick Rahal. You can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. I've been called far, far worse. I am joined, as ever, by my uh, cussing cohort over in the corner. I think that's the extent of the C words I'll use to describe her. <laughs> yeah, that better be the only. <laughs> well, there's Cumberbatch. She could say that. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yes. Uh, yeah, that, of course, is the uh, the dulcet tones of Agent Nicole. That was a lovely... You can't give a thumbs up! We're on radio! <laughs> <laughs> I've had a very long day, so... That's true. You were at work at 6 this morning. <laughs> No, I actually went in at 7.30. So. Oh, my God, you slacker. <laughs> and then I get to go bring the Iron Dad around because, you know, he's incompetent of going to the doctors without his secretary, as he would say. And then Ugh. he got in an argument with the nurse because the nurse thought he had to go back in a month. People don't know the year. difference between a month and, and a year. year. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, we are also joined, of course, by the mistress of Merlot and the real housewife of Transylvania, uh, that would be Ashes Von Nightmare. Right now, I think I'm I'm the mistress of matcha green tea. Ooh, can I smell it? Yeah, it's okay. So it's a combination of of matcha green and um, oh, green with mandarin orange. I was a big fan it. of the Ooh, matcha man, Randy good. Savage. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a rather dry. Okay, so I'm gonna. Put, I've tried to participate in dry January. I really tried, but. Um, went out with that? my fr- <laughs> went out with my friends a couple of times, and hey. one margarita turned into two margaritas turned, and into, that turned into three margaritas. <laughs> yeah, you see where and I'm going. She went down, <laughs> and then um, was it last last Friday? I had such a horrible day at work that in order to prevent myself from killing someone, I had to promise myself that after work I would. Go buy myself I, a bottle of wine. No, I remember that. I bought you wine because yes, we went out yeah, for yes, Okay, lunch. yes, yes. We don't need to get into the full story, but I procured a bottle of wine and proceeded to drink it all myself. So I, I give you credit for trying. I See, there's a, a solid effort. Solid effort. <laughs> but sometimes you just need to booze out. Sometimes, yeah, right? Because you know what? It, sober me gets very angry. I'm scared Non-sober me is very cool. Very cool. And very humpy. Very sober, <laughs> you is very cool. sober you is very cool, too, depending on who you are around. This That's is fair. true. Yes, thank you. Uh, we, are, we are also joined uh, today, as every day, the, uh, it's his Cal Ripken-like streak of podcast production that allows us to put on this show every week. I'm talking, of course, about the one and only Johnny Wolfenstein. I kind of love that. Uh, Probably not a lot of people get the Cal Ripken reference, and I'm not going to tell them what it means. So you can go figure it out. Look it up. Yeah. (laughs) Learn stuff. Google it. (laughs) You can be Google smart. Just go look it up. (laughs) Ask Jeeves. 
Is that still a thing? Should we ask Jesus? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would Jesus do? Uh, we have a special guest today, Woo-hoo! and she is a uh, a mainstay in the horror community. She is a staple of the horror conventions. Uh, she's dabbled a little bit in the uh, in the horror podcasting world. And uh, she is joining us today, uh, our very good friend, Melissa. Melissa, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you guys for having me on the show. Well, it's been 83 episodes. We haven't had you on here. Uh, to be fair, we haven't done a whole ton of horror stuff. Um, I mean, and honestly, you have been on before. We did uh, do well, a little bit of interview yeah, stuff. Yeah, is that Rocket Shock? But this is the first yeah. time where you're... You're featured a as featured a guest. guest, yeah. So we're excited. I am excited. The thing I'm excited is uh, about is uh, the fact that we get to do because you're a first time guest. Is we get to do our getting into character questions, and I love doing getting into character questions because I like to come up with the most random ass things. But they also make you think. I tend to come up with I think good questions for the most part. So Melissa, are you ready? to uh, undertake the getting into character segment. Why not? How bad could it be? Right. <laughs> Never ask that question <laughs> unless question. you want that answered. You're a horror person. You have to know this. Well, at least it can't get any worse. So, yeah, true. All right. So, uh, you know, this past year at Rock and Chalk, we were asking folks... Uh, who their favorite horror villain was, and we got a good answer from you. Uh, the year before, we asked a question that we didn't get a chance to ask you, so that I'm going to open up with that. Who is your favorite woman of horror? My favorite woman of horror. That's. I'm going to have to say Linnea. That's a good call. It's to, yeah, it's between Linnea and Felissa. I knew you were going to say her. <laughs> I, I was going to say you're biased I mean, though. Like, both are solid choices, though. Oh, absolutely. Super solid. But you, I, I, I kind of I've developed a friendship with Felissa, so other than the movie thing, she, she's just like an all-around good person. I was going to say, you can't not include her. <laughs> all right. It would not be right. No. So, all right. Uh, what was your least favorite sitcom that you had to watch when you were growing up? Oh, a lot of people are going to hate me right now, but it was The Cosby Show. See, I enjoyed the Cosby Show. I grew up with <laughs> Cosby comedy, but the, again, we are we are not in the business of judging people for what they what they do and do not like. So that's fine. You know, we're just in the business of shaming Nicole for not seeing Back to the Future. So it works out. You're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen the first one. I've never. I haven't seen all of them. So that's yeah, all right. You've seen at least the first one because I made a reference a while back, and she was like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." I'm like, "What?" Um, what is your favorite video game if you play games? Resident Evil. Nice. Any particular one? Nemesis. Ooh, number three. Yes. When you're playing one. as uh, as Jill. Yep. Yeah, that was the first one I ever played, and uh, yeah, that's that's a good one. Have you played the new one? Have you played seven? I have not played it yet. I don't have a PlayStation Four, so. <laughs> got to work on that one so i can yeah. play it yeah because it's it's phenomenal all right uh how many of the united states have you visited four 
Is that including where you live? No. Okay, so five. All right. I don't count where I live. I hate my state. But you've been there. <laughs> like, you left and came back, so like... Oh, okay, five then. All right. <laughs> what are the five? Rhode Island, New York, Maine, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts. All right, so pretty much all, like, in a line. All the East Co- Upper East Coast, kind of. All right, I have uh, one more question for you. And now this this one, this is the first question I came up with, but I'm intentionally saving this for the last, okay? We've okay. had Freddy versus Jason, Alien versus Predator, and Kramer versus Kramer. So which horror crossover would you most like to see? Um, another Freddy versus Jason. Really? I would have expected you to say something along the lines of the Firefly Flame. Firefly family. But I know it's probably never going to happen, so I don't want to get my hopes up for it. Oh, this isn't what you think is going to happen. This is what would you most like to see. Oh, I would definitely love to see something with the Fireflies. For sure. Isn't there, like, rumors? There's rumors. Yes. It's it's more than rumors. It's been confirmed, like, they're going to start shooting in In March. In March, I believe, yeah. It's it's a follow-up to Devil's Rejects. I don't know how they can follow it up when the three main characters were all killed in the last one. It has something in the subtitles is like something like out of hell or something like that. So yeah, like maybe they're sent back. I, I, I and I doubt Rob will have anything to do with it though because he said that he had signed he, they had signed all the rights over to Lionsgate and we're having a hard time getting them back. He, he's directing it with Lions uh, and Lionsgate's producing. Even better. Yeah. See? Lionsgate tends to put out some uh, pretty brutal stuff, like all the Saw films are, are Lionsgate. Yeah, no, because when I was when I talked to Sid last, you know, he even said it that you know, he was having a hard time getting Lionsgate to release the rights back to him. See, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, I'm a huge fan of those films, and see I, what I would like I would you know the crossover I would like to see, and I was thinking about this when I was thinking about the question, the Firefly Firefly Family, Jesus Christ come across John Kramer when he's younger and he put he pits them in you know a series of traps that they have to escape from cuz i think that would That be, would that would definitely be interesting to see I agree. Let's see how they like like let's see how they like getting tortured Now you mentioned uh Freddy versus Jason now are you aware of what the original ending was going to be Actually, no. I'm not sure if it's that one or it's the uh, Friday the 13th where Freddy reaches his glove up and takes the uh, mask down. I forget. Oh, yeah, Jason goes to hell. Uh, there was supposed to be... No, it a, was it was Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. I know what you're getting at. Yep. There was, uh, there's a confrontation between the two of them in hell. Yep. And all of a sudden, all these chains come out of nowhere and they get separated and in strolls Pinhead, acting oh, as yeah. kind of like a referee... Yes. And, like, that's how the movie was supposed to end? Like, setting up a, a, a sequel? That would definitely be interesting. Yeah. I, I'm a, uh, I'm a huge fan of, of, of that idea. And the reason I bring that up is because it ties into what we're going to be talking about today. Agent Nicole, what are we talking about today? Your new favorite movie. We're talking about um, Pinhead from the Hellraiser series. That's right. Uh, especially where we have uh, another another iteration coming out in just a couple of weeks. Yep. 
That'll be Hellraiser 10? <laughs> yeah, I, I believe so, yeah. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, because Revelations was 9. I don't even remember all of them at this point. Does but... Pinhead go to, like, the hood or something? <laughs> or space? Or space. He does go to space <laughs> at number 4. Does go to space. Or does number he go to, like, Tiffany's and get some, some like, new pens, like, Dazzled jeweled. I believe pens. this one is called uh, so Pinhead Goes Straight <laughs> yeah. to Video. Get a grill. <laughs> Pinhead Goes Straight to Video. That's this one. Pinhead Goes to Camp. I don't know. Um, Jesus Camp. But yeah, we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the many names. Well, we're also going to get into the background of the name Pinhead as well and uh, Clive Barker's disdain for it. And how he <laughs> how he uh, expresses the disdain for it. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to start talking uh, some Pinhead. We're going to get some background. We're going to talk to Melissa, see what she thinks. We're going to ask Agent Nicole, who watched the movie for the first time last night, see if she finished it or not. And uh, when we come back, that's what we'll be doing. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday Podcast. Well, hello there, neighborinos. The handle's Mr. Most Days Off, but my friends call me Miles, and I'm the host of the Best Darn Diddly Review Show. Hello, Mr. Most Days Off. <laughs> and that's my best friend, Richie the Whiz Kid, the co-host of Best Darn Diddly. Hi, ho there, podcasterinos. The Best Darn Diddly Review Show is a weekly journey through the entire Simpsons series, hosted by us, two guys who grew up loving The Simpsons. We discuss every diddly, every doodly, and every do. So lace up your assassin sneakers, put on your skin-tight ski suit, and head down the slopes with us at Best Darn Diddly. Stupid, sexy Best Darn Diddly. You can catch us each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. And we've returned. Uh, I hope you guys like those uh, those promos. Uh, this is the first time we played the uh, Best Darn Diddly promo. And uh, I got to say, I had a lot of fun with those guys on the show. We had a couple episodes with those folks uh, a while back. 
and uh, hopefully we can get those guys on again because they were a lot of fun. And check out their show. It's friggin' hilarious. If you stream us on Stitcher, you can find them on Stitcher as well uh, or directly from their website, bestdarndiddly.com. So we're back to talk about Pinhead. That's his popular name. That's what they're, he's known as uh, in, in pop culture. But that's not his real name. Um, his real name, uh, depending on which version of uh, media you're looking at, like in the first movie, he's credited as lead Cenobite. Correct. Uh, yep. If you've read the, the books, uh, which I just recently... Uh, I read The Hellbound Heart, which is one of the quickest reads I've ever had because it's about 140 pages or so, but it's huge print. So it's really only about 60 pages. So it's a novella, right? It's a novella, yeah. And then um, I did read the novel The Hellbound Heart, which is significantly larger and significantly smaller print. Um, He is just referred to as the Hell Priest. Now, what I want to do first is I want to ask Agent Nicole, because she just saw this movie for the first time. Agent Nicole. Yes. Did you finish the movie? Yes. Which are one? You, are you the lying to me? No, I'm not lying. What's What's the last thing Frank says? I don't remember. I don't. I really don't remember. I was watching it. Jesus. Half a... You know what? what? I can't. I can't even say anything bad about it because I watched it last night and I watched it again today and forgot myself. So. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I got you. Thanks. All right. So, what was your impression of the character of Pinhead? Um, I was just kind of. I don't know. I don't know. He's a fun-loving guy. Yeah. <laughs> he just likes to party. Yeah. He likes to hang out, you know? I, he has breeze. such sights to show yeah. you. Go to Disneyland. <laughs> you know? He's just a fun-loving guy. Actually, the funny thing is, he does love Disney World. Oh, oh really? The, well, the actor. <laughs> I do want to say, uh, you know, Doug Bradley absolutely nailed that role. Oh, no this pun is, intended. Oh, pun definitely this intended. Is a <laughs> oh, it's a punishment. Ah, uh, Agent Nicole's got jokes. Now, Melissa, you're our guest, so we should probably talk to you a little bit. Um, <laughs> when you <laughs> totally ignored me. When you, uh, how old were you when you first came across uh, Pinhead and his exploits? Um, I was probably about 10. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and what was what was your impression of the film? That movie scared the living shit out of me as a kid. Seeing all the flesh falling off of people and, you know, her whacking people over the head with hammers to bring them back to, back you know, to Frank. Frank in order to... Yep. Let him regrow his skin so he could become human again, and yeah, it was just it was traumatizing as a child. <laughs> I do want to point out, and I I, uh, I was trying to make a poll on on Facebook, but I didn't. It didn't give me enough letters. Like it only gave me twenty five characters, which is bullshit. But I want to say, you know, pinhead aside, Frank's regeneration scene is probably the greatest practical effect I've ever seen. I will agree to that. 
Yeah. Um, but it's not just that. The, the makeup that was done for all the different Cenobites, because you have to kind of delve into like the backstory and try to guess who these creatures were at one point. And even though I would say uh, Doug Bradley probably had the least um, complicated makeup, his took, what, six hours to apply? Yeah. Yep. Like, that's insane. Um, What's funny is, after playing this character so many times and, you know, doing so many different scenes with the, uh, the prosthetics... He got so good at applying and removing the makeup and his costume that he was credited as uh, in one of the films in the uh, makeup and effects department. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's rad. That, yeah, it is. And it's funny because he had the option of, you know, when Clive Barker was directing, and this is Clive Barker's directorial debut. He had made a couple of short films, but this was his directorial debut. Uh he said to Doug, he's like, all right, you can have either the role of the lead Cenobite or one of the guys moving the mattress. And I think he made a good call. Yes. But he was worried, and um, this ended up tying into what happened with him later on. He was worried that as a new actor, people wouldn't recognize his face. And at the rap party... Nobody was paying attention to him or talking to him or interacting with him because nobody recognized him because nobody from the cast or crew had seen him without his makeup, so no one knew who he was. So despite being, like, you know, pretty much the star of the show, nobody knew who the hell he was. Now, Melissa, my question for you, because you are very well-versed in horror and you have a, a deep knowledge, uh, in some cases a very intimate knowledge, as you uh, know several of these folks uh, in, the, in the horror community, some well-known actors and actresses. Where in your uh, horror pantheon does Pinhead rank? Like, where is he as far as, you know, the uh, lead characters and, and folks that uh, tend to steal the show? He for me he's right up there with like Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers. He's like in he's at the top three. So he's he's towards the top of the food chain with these guys. Yeah, he's yeah he's one of my favorite ones. When I met him at Rock and Shock, I think it was in like 2015. I was so excited. I was kind of hoping that you know he would dress up as Pinhead so I could get pictures taken with him because I would have been in my glory. I can tell you. Uh, because I got a chance to meet him at my first Rock and Shock in 2008. I told him, I was like, wow, you know, you're uh, way less creepy in real life than, you know, you are in the movies. He's like, yeah, all right, thanks. And, like, was not, he didn't like that. He didn't think that was cool. I was trying to be to be funny and, like, you know, nope. Yeah, he didn't really have a, he didn't really have a great sense of humor. He seemed very dry. He was friendly enough, but... Oh, yeah, very nice. Was, he, t- he took it, a picture with me. Yeah, he took one. I have one with him, and he signed... Um, I have, like, a, a canvas picture of Pinhead. Oh, nice. That that was, like, a um, like a limited edition type thing. So I had him sign that for me, and I took a picture with him holding that picture, the, the canvas print. So I was like, yep, my day was just made. He wasn't a jerk like some people have been that I've met in, you know, other types yep. of conventions so all in all it was a good day 
Now, Ashes, you have a, a, a Doug Bradley story. Would you like to tell your Doug Bradley story? I would love to tell my Doug Bradley story. Um, so sometimes when we go to Rock and Shock, I, there are people, or at least one person, who I'm super just stoked to meet. And a few years ago, it was Doug Bradley. I was so excited that he was going to be there. I am a huge pinhead fan for multiple reasons and we'll probably get into that later on um so i was very excited to meet him now usually when we go if i'm super excited to meet somebody or see somebody i have i end up having this candid interaction with them before i even pay at their table so um one year i ran into kane hotter coming out of the bathroom and you know it's a little more complicated than that well, well there was a little more to it but um you know i i had like a, a brief really interaction cool like a cool interaction with kane hotter coming out of a bathroom you know the bathroom um so was this were you Right. Was I carrying stuff? Were you New England Horror Writers that year? Yeah, or? Was, we were there for the New England Horror Writers. Okay, so I was... Um, well, I just, I just want to set this up. Oh, my so God. She's, See, I love this. Okay, he's well, like, tell on. your story. No, set, never mind. You don't get to tell beginning. your story. I'm going to tell your story. <laughs> All right. So knowing that, you know, I had already had this knowledge that she really wanted to see Doug Bradley. So we're trying to figure out, like... Because normally for the New England Horror Writers stuff, like, we go around the side entrance. We don't go through the front where everyone else goes in because we'd always gone in the side. And so I see this uh, gentleman with, uh, you know, a hat on, a jacket and everything. And I'm like, well, let's just go in. He's going in. Let's go in and uh, take it from there. Oh, so I could I can finish telling my story. I was just setting it up. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks. Um, so thoughtful. So sweet. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, in heels. I'm all dressed up. I'm helping Patrick carry some stuff. This may have been... 2013 now that i think about it i think it was or the year before or something anyways yeah it was a while ago um i hear this this voice from beside me you know and i'm I'm not paying attention i'm trying not to trip over myself you know you try walking in six inch heels it's it's it takes a lot of talent um you know so i'm trying not to trip over myself try not to to drop what i'm carrying i hear this very very nice very soothing british voice from behind me saying oh hello dear let me get the door for you it's fucking doug bradley (laughs) doug bradley (laughs) held the door open for me and i was like thank you sir now hold on a second because that wasn't the reaction you had she didn't even realize that it was doug bradley like and it was the same with Kane no, Hodder. No, I'm no, like, it wasn't until after the Do you know who that fa- was? Okay, but exactly, because these people, you know, I know them for being masked characters. So I had to do kind of like a, I did a double take after the fact. And I was just like, and Patrick's like, you know, do you know who just held the door for you? And I was like, what, was that Doug Bradley? You know, I'm like, was that just Doug Bradley? He's like, yeah. He's like, Pinhead just held the door for you. And I'm like, he's so nice. So, like, now when I watch these <laughs> movies, I'm like, you know, he's like, you know, no tears, please. And I'm like, he's so nice. Like, he held the door for, <laughs> he me. Held the door for me. Wait, so did you get to meet him later on? That I yes. did, yes. Yeah, we got um, She's trying to be all good. She fangirled the hell out. Well, it's fucking Doug Bradley. I'm just saying, you... <laughs> I mean, like, I have some, some very... Intra- pinhead, yeah, yeah, pinhead. I know, I know, pinhead. Yeah, I'm. Aware. There's one framed picture of me in the entire house, and it's me with Doug Bradley. 
There are more pictures of Patrice Bergeron framed around our house. There's one of me, and it's me with Doug Bradley. And I think that's the picture we're going to use for the the uh, the thing this week. Well, to be fair, she sees you every day, right? Yeah, yeah. she gets to, she and it's like the best. <laughs> It's not every day you get to see Doug Bradley. This is true. No, I mean, touche. <laughs> fair enough. And I mean, and and to be honest, like he's not a bad-looking gentleman out of makeup. <laughs> no, but, he's really not. Right, and he's very, you know, again, like he's he's not very funny, but he is very personable. And I did have yes. a nice interaction with him at his table. You know, he was just very. We did thank very, him for holding the door. Yeah, uh, you know, he was very proper and just, you know. Just, just a, just a gentleman. Like you know, it was just, it, it was nice. It was a very nice interaction. You know, it, was, it, it stuck out in my, in my mind. And you know, we have the, the picture that he signed and stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's cool when you get to, to, to meet the person like that. You know, this person who, you know, and, and it kind of. The people who play these horrific villains. Yeah, it's nice to separate the art from the person. Exactly. The art from the artist. That's right. what I meant. And then it kind of gives you more of an appreciation of the art because you realize, wow, this person acted their ass off. You know, like the role of, of Pinhead is so... Like... It's Cold. so Yeah, well, I was going to say, it's so, like, diverse. Like... You get a whole mixture of, of emotions while watching Pinhead on screen. What was that face for? Try not to sneeze, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so mind your own business. Over she just there. made this weird, like I didn't, I don't. You're looking at your phone. You made this. I thought you like saw a twerking panda or something. I thought that was what you were like making the face about. So, Pinhead made his debut in this in this film. His film debut in 1987. And what I think is the most interesting is he wasn't really the lead character or even the lead Cenobite in The Hellbound Heart. And I find it interesting that, you know, Clive Barker wrote the book or the novella, but he also directed the film. And so there's like little bits of changes from the book to the film. Um. I read something today, too, that was uh, kind of cool because um, Doug Bradley was in a play that Clyde Barker had directed back in 1973 called um, Hunters in the Snow. Mm-hmm. And Doug Bradley played a Dutchman who was a torturer, and that would ultimately become the basis for Pinhead. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah, I read that, too. I just couldn't remember what the, the stuff was. I was going to ask if anybody else knew. So it was only fitting <laughs> that Doug Bradley... Ended up playing Pinhead. Right. Yeah, they already had a rapport with mm-hmm. working with one another, so why not? And I think um, it was one of the better uh, ideas that Barker had, you know, when he decided because in the in the book, Butterball is actually like the lead guy. Uh, why are you laughing? That's who he is. That's I know, but it's like when I heard Butterball is like like the turkey, like. <laughs> The jab turkey. Stop. That's chatterbox. That's, that's Nicole's favorite, so send her gifts of chatterbox. That's her <laughs> favorite. Um, Don't be a dick. But, like, you know, the, the opening scene where, you know, Frank's face is kind of, like, put back together, 
that was supposed to be Butterball. And they even filmed that scene. But because the uh, the makeup didn't really allow for any ex- you know facial expression or anything, like the studio wanted all the Cenobites to be played by stuntmen so they didn't have to pay them as much. But Clive Barker kind of talked them out of it and was like, no, like... Like, I want real actors. <laughs> right, because they have to they have to portray this sense of, of um, fearsomeness and, and this sense of terror. And, you know, stuntmen are, aren't always equipped to make the leap to acting, especially where they're not going to have any roles. Like, the only one who had roles uh, or speaking lines was, um, I forget her name, but Barbie Wilde replaced her as the, the female Cenobite in the second film. Um, and she was chosen because she had a background in mime. Oh, hey. Um, but where Pinhead, you know, the, the lead Cenobite, he was called in the in the movie, um, where he had the ability to speak, the ability to show complex emotions on his, you know, with his facial features and everything. I mean... The chatterbox makeup, like that, was basically a mask with a set of chattering, te- wind-up chattering teeth in it. Yeah, but that's so cool. It is. Yeah, it is. Like it's so cool. Like even rewatching it, I mean, I love Pinhead, but you know, if we're talking like second favorite Cenobite, it's it's Chatterbox well, all the, the way. I was looking up some of the mythology behind the characters, and um, Chatterbox was supposedly the like number two favorite. Like it went, you know, Pinhead and then Chatterbox. And which is why, like that, they, they kind of like retconned that and explained why he looks different in the second movie to the first one. The real reason is the actor couldn't see out of the friggin' yeah. <laughs> mask. But the character explanation is because he had you know eyes and a, and and a mouth and a nose and every well he already had the mouth but eyes and a nose and ears. <laughs> uh, they also removed the hooks holding his mouth open. Was his reward for his part in bringing Frank back to hell. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So that's how they kind of explain the difference in the look of the character. And there's actually been multiple other characters, whether it's the the, um, the comics or the, the movies, that have that similar aesthetic. There's even, like, a dog that has, like, the chatterbox aesthetic where, like, you know, its face is pulled back to reveal all its teeth. And, you know, there was, like, a torso. Yeah. So... You know, and the reasoning for that is, I mean, I think a it's uh, maybe easier to make that type of mask and that type of prosthetic, but it's also you know a fun character. Like you don't really have to do a whole lot to get to make that character seem menacing. Just gotta chatter the teeth. But uh, yeah, getting a little off topic, but it's hard to talk about you know. Pinhead without talking about the other characters that surround him and like where he comes from and who he is. Now, he is uh, described by Clive Barker as, like I said, the Hell Priest or the lead Cenobite. Uh, Barker hates the uh, the name Pinhead, and as a way of describing that, I don't know. Have you guys? I know you haven't, and you probably haven't either, Nicole. But uh, Melissa, have you read uh, the Scarlet Gospels? I haven't read them yet. I'm that's like next on my list of things I need to do. Oh, it's so good. Um I I flew through it like this weekend. Um anytime someone mentions the name Pinhead in his presence, like he 
gives them a particularly nasty death in a in a world of terrible deaths. Like there's a guy who gets a hook rammed up his ass and his face pulled out his asshole. Um, the people that refer to him as Pinhead get it much worse. Like he tortures them a lot longer and you know way worse because that his disdain for that nickname is coming from Clive Barker's disdain for that nickname. Um, from what I've read and what I've seen, uh, I know, you know, Ashes, you have a lot of notes, and Nicole, you have a, a good amount, and I know you've also been doing a lot of research today, uh, Melissa. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was, that I found interesting, and this is from the, the, the book as well, there is no clear gender for the hell priest. Uh, he's described at the beginning of the Scarlet Gospel by uh, having like a, a higher pitched, uh, soft voice like a uh, like a woman. But like, you can't tell what the gender is. He's very androgynous. I think that's the right word I'm using. I'm looking for. Yep. Um, and he doesn't just have the pins in his head. They're also no. got the same markings in his tongue. He's got the same crisscross lines and the pins through his tongue, and they're jeweled. They're not just regular rusty pins. So he has a tongue ring. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's bedazzled. Well, I actually read I actually read something too that he may have had a Prince Albert because of the way it was done too. Yes, Hello. yeah, they tried to make it. Uh, they based on the 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 belly button piercing, the navel piercing that he has. They were using that to kind of infer that he also had genital piercings. Just yeah, when you the think Pinhead can't get hotter. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, because he had the, the chain there that he went goes. from there down there. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of their costumes were influenced by, you know, visits to S&M clubs in New York and Amsterdam. So, Well, it was originally going to be called Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave. Like, that was the original working title of the film before they settled on Hellraiser. And there's a nod to that in uh, Scarlet Gospel where, you know, somebody refers to them as sadomasochists from hell or something like that. Um, yeah, and there's also, I know in the movies there's a little bit uh, more, and I was talking to Ashes about this last night, and Melissa, stop me if you've heard this. There's no clear origin for who uh, Pinhead actually is. Now, in the film, we see him as uh, a British uh, a military officer. Right. Um, you know, he was Elliot Spencer, uh, and he opened the box because he became disenchanted with human life from his service in, uh, in World War One. World One. Yeah, that's what I read. Yeah. But in the in the um, in the book, they kind of explain it a little more, where Barker gets into the detail, like. They describe this huge monastery where uh, his the Cenobites are part of the Order of the Gash, and the the Cenobites are kind of like their priests. And they describe, uh, or he describes um, this monastery that's seven hundred thousand years old, and there's some uh, debate amongst the residents of Hell as to you know, the hell priest's actual origin. Like, is Pinhead just kind of... And I, Nicole's shirt reminded me of it. It's kind of like 
how multiple people have been Captain America is, you know, the Hell Priest and, like, this look kind of just passed on from, like, one person to the next. Like, okay, you know, you're going to be the Hell Priest now and you're going to have, like, this specific type of ritual scarring or has it been the same person forever? You know, no one really knew what it was. So that kind of... Uh, it doesn't directly contradict what's in the movie because this he could just be the most recent person to have been given the pinhead persona. So it's kind of like The Price is Right. Like, so The Price is Right has been around for, like, ever, right? And, like, it has a host, but the host hasn't always been Drew Carey. It was Bob Barker, right? So, like, yep. Elliot Spencer just happened to be the newest Bob Barker. I like my my metaphor better or my analogy better. <laughs> I like but I mean, ashes. like, regardless, like, like you're ashes. still going to play Plinko. <laughs> exactly. I, I guess. But it's like you have all the duties and responsibilities. Right, like, regardless, you character. can still bid a dollar. But, you know, it's just that, that the host... Have, why are you giving me a quizzical look? Have you not seen The Price is I've Right? I've seen The Price is Right, but that has nothing to do with you bidding a dollar. Like, the host has nothing to do with you what you bid. Yeah, but you could still bid a dollar. And, like, that's okay. Like, the, the game still goes on. Like, it, everything still happens. The host can change, but everything still happens. So it's almost like, you know... Elliot Spencer, World War One vet, just completely just disenfranchised with life, opens yes. the box and, you know, becomes the new pinhead. Right. But the new so host of I'm, The Price is Right. What I'm saying is, like, it's, it's seamless. Like, it's, um, it's like there's never not been... Or, like, when I'm... Um, oh, when Dick Sargent took over for Dick York in Bewitched. Yeah, yeah, that's essentially what I already said. Like how there's been multiple Captain Americans. I'm just... <laughs> so, you know, that's what I found to be uh, very interesting. Now, Melissa, in your research, what did you come across that you found to be uh, fascinating? Something you didn't know that you know, you'd like to share with, with us folks? I don't know. I kind of was just getting into like how they just came up with, you know, the model, how they modeled Pinhead after a book that Clyde Barker had saw containing photos of like African fetishes, like with sculptures of human heads that were carved with wood and pierced with all the nails and stuff, you know, like the backstory of how they put all of this stuff together was what was drawing me in. You know, well, you, you know uh, it doesn't take much to humor me. So you, when you start talking about sex and, you know, people getting hurt, I'm all about it. So, <laughs> you know, making these characters after certain, you know, with certain things in mind that they had in mind was kind of a sold, I'm sold type of deal. Yeah, I read a little bit about that. Why don't you... Um you know, like kind of like get into that a little more. Let the, let the folks at home uh, know like where this came from and like what your thoughts are on like learning this. You know, this backstory because like a lot of times people don't want to know. They just want they don't want to know the backstory. They just want to you know see yeah, the final like, result. Like, like like all the, the the sexual innuendo type deals that were in the movie was because 
you know, this was going on during the AIDS epidemic. So, you know, one of the, the directors or something was gay. So this was his way of, you know, telling people to practice safe sex. And, you know, that's where the Cenobites came in, you know, because you, the Cenobites weren't taking you to die. It was like when lust betrays you, then you're going to hell. So, you know, Barker wanted the repulsive glamour, so that where all the leather and chains and whatnot came from. I like that phrase, repulsive glamour. I do too. Like that just creates a very nice visual in my head right now. <laughs> um, no, I I I get that. Like it's when you have a love of of horror or just kind of the unconventional yes um watching something like this you know really looking at all of the details that were put into the costumes and all of the um meanings behind it Mm -hmm. like it really kind of i don't know you appreciate it more you really appreciate it more like people who who really put some of themselves into these creating these characters writing the script creating you know um playing these roles mm-hmm. and stuff like it i just, love how that it's basically it's a love story when you it when you boil down to it it's a love story between julia and frank yeah and um when we did our who's your favorite woman of horror a couple of years ago uh, our, our buddy El Goro over at the Talk Without Rhythm podcast actually chose Julia as his favorite woman of horror because of, like, the depths of her depravity from the first film to the second film. Um, now, Agent Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> don't sound so excited. But uh, when you were watching this, when you were seeing how this character interacted, especially towards the end when he's like interacting with Kirsty when she opens the box. Uh, what were, what were some of the things you were thinking? What's in the box? <laughs> it's cool. I was kind of wondering that too. I'm like what's in the box? Like, is it going to be a deck in the box kind of thing? Um, you know, I, what's really funny was I got a message from my roommate, my, college roommate and she's like I can't believe you're watching Hellraiser do you not remember what happened a couple years ago so in college we were trying a bunch of us were watching like multiple you know horror films like we watch all the Halloweens all the Friday the 13th we tried to watch Hellraiser and I just couldn't get over the cover of it with you know Pinhead and I was like nope not happening not gonna happen um I don't know I just he like I always wondered if Penhead is really like evil or not. You know he he's just like you know he's a priest or or a hell priest and he's there. He's on a mission to find out like um I I feel like I'm just gonna butcher all this. So I'm really sorry for no, all go this. Ahead. But like you know I kind of like wonder like is he really evil? You know he's on a mission to take down the person who created all this mayhem at the moment and you know obviously in the end Christy kind of sends them back to where they belong in their realm but it's like I just have this idea is he really bad or is he really good or he's just 
very neutral. Like, well, what does he say when he first introduced? Dude, you? I was half awake and I, I watched. I know. This I I'm not literally book. asking you. <laughs> this is a rhetorical question. What I would say is, he says angels to some, demons to others. Okay. Or the other way around, yeah. demons to some, angels to others. Well, and I know you didn't watch this one, but in the second one, so there's this girl named T- well, she's called Tiffany. Tiffany. Uh, yeah, in the in the psych ward, and she loves puzzles, and they give her the puzzle box with the intent to have her summon the Cenobites and you know yeah. bring everyone to the Cenobite realm. Um, Hell. And, yeah. Well. I mean, they call it hell, but it's really it's, the, it's the hell. labyrinth ruled it, over yeah, by the Leviathan. Exactly, because you get you know you ultimately get dragged to your own personal hell, because Kirsty's looking for her dad, and he can't be. And, and Pinhead tells her like quite he's, unreachable. Right, he's in his own personal hell. You you can't get to him. Um, but this, so this this girl Tiffany opens the box. Now Tiffany has been through something very traumatic. She does not speak to anyone and it's really funny side note spoiler alert but the movie's been out for fucking like 20 some odd 30 years now almost 30 years um you know the first words that she say in the movie is oh shit (laughs) 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 which like the centibites are coming at her and so she's like oh shit and Kirsty just looks at her like what (laughs) now you speak um but anyways because she is so pure you know, the Cenobites come when she opens the puzzle box and the Cenobites are, are, are ready. You know, the Cenobite entourage, they're ready to attack. And Pinhead's like, no, not her. She is not the one who, su- even though she opened the box, she's not the one yeah. who, who summoned us. It is you know, not hands much- who call us. It is desire. Right. Pretty much saying that, no, she is, she is pure. She is pure of heart. Like, she is not the one who desired us to be here. Yeah. So, you know, there is... He has a purpose. It's not yeah. one of those, like, he just wants to uh, cause mass destruction yeah. and kill as many people. You know, there, He knows what his mission is, and that's what he's going to stick to. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Which, and, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, getting into a little bit of the actual character itself, it brings up kind of like the nature versus nurture conversation, um, debate. Uh, so what happens is, you know, when these Cenobites are turned into you know, the actual Cenobites themselves, they lose who they were as a person. And you see a little bit of, um, it's the, the second one where we learn a little more about Pinhead's backstory and he actually gets in touch with who he used to be as, as an actual human being. But, they don't remember who they were. They just know what they are now and what their mission is, what their job. So they're just doing their job. So that's how you can look at them as, you know, Pinhead is not the villain. He's not the bad guy. He's not even the main antagonist in most of these movies. Yeah. Um, you know, no, it's the humans. Exactly. You know, it's like if you had just left the fucking box alone, you wouldn't be in this situation. It's another. It's just another thing that proves that temptation always, for the most part, would you know, temptation always wins out. Exactly. I was, when I wa- watched the very end, where it goes back to Morocco, where the box is back into the guy's hand, I was like, oh fuck, who's gonna open this shit now? Well, what's funny is. You know, you guys are sitting there talking about the nature versus nurture thing. 
in the Scarlet Gospel, it is very clear that he is 100% evil. Like, he's doing what he does because he's evil. He has ambition. He has drive. He has motivation. He has been systematically killing the world's magicians. Like, and I'm not talking like, you know, fucking David Blaine and Chris Angel and shit. I'm talking people with Mind freak. legit <laughs> arcane spells, like people who have access to these books where there's only one copy of this book, you know, and it teaches like all these different like spells and, and, and you know, incantations. And as he's learning them, he tortures people to get this information. He learns it memorizes it and then destroys the book so he's the only one who has this information and you know we learn that this guy is apparently he's been in the uh, multiple media uh, Harry Damore is this uh, he was a, a detective who ran afoul of some demons years back and since then he has been slowly and steadily covering his body with various tattoos which warn him uh, like they're different um like each tattoo is a different spell that warns him of danger or will reveal something or allow him to communicate. Um, and we find out that, you know, Pinhead, all he is doing is gathering up this knowledge to take over hell. Like, he literally has a confrontation with Lucifer in this book. And tells like, him, I'm going to take your job. I'm not going to tell you how that goes or what the confrontation is like or, you know, how he tracks him down because it's a really, really good story. But, yeah, it's it's very interesting. So see, I, now I want to read it and see if, like, the books and the movies kind of, you know, see how much of it is the same, how how they differ well, the first if they tie in it all together, you know, kind of first movie uh, and the first book definitely go together. Um, there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different things throughout the whole um, the history of, of of the the Hellraiser franchise. Like, I want to check out the books. But, like, there's, you know, the Books of Blood, you know, and the, the Hellraiser series of books. Uh, but there's also, um, there was a video game that was going to be on Nintendo, and it was going to feature the first save feature. So you could just, like, pick up where you left off. But nice. But the console couldn't uh, handle the save ability, so they had to kind of scrap it. But there's so much to it that... You know, the movies and books kind of go their separate ways and just tell different versions. They're not different versions, but different, you know, um, different parts of the story, like throughout his uh, existence, throughout Pinhead's existence, which kind of lends credence to the theory because, you know, he's defeated at the end of pretty much every movie. Uh, It lends credence to the multiple uh, incarnations. And there's even a book. I have it. uh, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But it's called Sherlock Holmes and the Servants of Hell, where it's Sherlock Holmes versus the Cenobites, which seems like it's going to be a really interesting read. So, yeah. like, there's some crossover potential there as well. So, you know, there's... If you're looking for it to kind of line up, 
I think there's basically like one loose thread that kind of ties everything together and then it sort of ends with the Scarlet Gospels, you know, kind of uh, giving you the history and not really retconning things, but tying up the loose ends and getting them all together. Ashes, what was what's your uh, impression of of uh, like the evolution? Because we've watched a bunch of these movies together. I mean, I've seen all of them. We watched the most recent one. What's your kind of uh, take on how he's evolved and what he does? Everything is better in space. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, it's. I don't really feel that his character goes through much of an evolution. Like it, it does, but it doesn't. A lot of it has to do with you know Doug, and obviously right now we're just focusing on Doug Bradley's portrayal of Pinhead. Um, to be honest with you, as as a as a purist, for lack of better word, uh, he is the only Pinhead in my eyes. <laughs> um, so that's that. Uh, I believe that. Every time Doug Bradley portrayed the character, he had a better understanding of the character. Not to say that he didn't in the first one, but, you know, it's kind of like characters, um, people who play sitcom characters, you know, they, they play these characters every week for years. You know, you just get to the point where it becomes second nature for you to be this person. You can switch it on and switch it off. Uh, you know their likes and their their, their dislikes. Um, you know, so I, I feel that as Doug Bradley kind of just, just became Pinhead, you know, you see that comfort level in the character. But I don't really see feel that you you get much of a character evolution um you know it's, yeah, i disagree it's well i mean the characters set out to do pretty much the same thing in every movie right but they he goes from you know like this serious dark menacing character your to, flesh pleases me you know like you know trick us again and your suffering will be legendary even in hell to a guy kind of like cracking jokes and doing one-liners, kind of like Freddy Krueger style. Freddy Krueger. <laughs> well, I think at the same time, I think that has a lot to do with the writing, though. Well, I think because it also they were has in to do competition. with what's popular. Well, exactly. You know, and it kind of, it was out of character for him, especially like if you're reading, although, re- you know, he's not much of a part of the book, like the Hellbound Heart, although obviously Scarlet Gospel is all about him. Um. You know, it's, you know, he's first and foremost a tempter of souls, offering, you know, telling people, like, I will give you the the heights of pleasure that you're seeking. Well, see, he's in a state of constant pain, constant pain. So in order to provide himself any pleasure... He has to inflict that sort of pain on other people. Yeah, it gets to the point where, you know, and they mention it several times in both books and in the in the film series where pleasure and pain are indistinguishable. Yes. You know, it's just like the height of, you know, the the uh, the height of the uh uh pain receptors and the endorphins just rushing through your body like you're feeling that rush of adrenaline 
through both the extreme pleasure and the extreme pain that you're being put through. And, you know, that's what, and if you look closely at the character, you know, a lot of people just focus on, you know, his, his head with all the nails driven into it. Um, his clothing is interwoven through his flesh. Like it's, it's hard to see, especially like if you're watching, you know, a non digitally mastered version, like the DVD we watched of the second one looked like it was like an eighth grade, uh, you know, news production. Yes. Uh, at least the, the, the production company and everything. But like it's harder to tell because this is an older format. If this stuff isn't, you know, put on, you know, like a, a remastered, remastered. Right. It's harder to see. But if you look at like the artwork, you know, some of Clive Barker's amazing artwork or fan art you know, based on descriptions or concept art, you can see how, you know, like he doesn't wear a belt, but like it's leather woven through flesh or like everything's held together with hooks. Like I know that makes Agent Nicole squeamish because she doesn't like hooks going into people's faces and stuff, but. um, Oh, but I thought that that it's just brilliant. Yeah, it's it's very well done. And it just kind of, you know, like you were saying with the other the other Cenobites, like butterball is like a little kid you know and you know he is you know oh no not butterball i'm sorry chatterbox Chatterbox is a little kid but butterball was a guy who loved to eat and he was looking for a way to kind of satiate his his lust for food and so if you look at the character you can't really tell like i was really trying to look while i was watching the the two movies last night but his stomach is ripped open and held open with hooks so that no matter how much he eats, it's just going to come right out and he can never be satisfied. Now, this is just a... I'm sure... I don't know if it's been answered or not, but does anyone know why he has pins? Like, is it like for his victims or something? Or It's just, it's the, just how it's... He's that's just the signed. specific design. Um, the pins are driven deeply into his head. Like, the pins are about... Four to five inches long. Like, so they're in his brain. They're, you know, everywhere. They're driven deep into his body. And you get to see that, how that happens in the second one, which I know you didn't watch. I probably won't watch. I'm sorry. Uh, that's fine. Oh, it's such a it's it's a it's very so cool scene though. It's very well done. Um, I think the pins are metaphorical. So he's a World War One vet. He has probably seen some shit. Yeah. He also probably did some shit as well. And he's probably you know again one of the reasons why he opened the puzzle box was he was just kind of life, eh, you know. Yeah. Um, which is actually a, a symptom of PTSD. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a metaphor for that, for for him just not being right in the head, for lack of better phrase. Well, they do. Uh, there's a little bit of backstory in some of the uh, other you know media where they talk about how Elliot Spencer, much like Frank, uh, traveled the world doing different things, trying to you know sex and violence, trying to chase that high that or that or that you know ultimate pleasure but never be satisfied um you know he did the same thing you travel different places you know talking to different people and like you know it kind of gets into the background of frank and i imagine it's the same for 
Elliot Spencer, where you know you hear whispers and rumors, and you know, you know somebody you're you're in Morocco and you hear somebody talking about the lament configuration, and then somebody else tells you about you know Le Marchand and you know you know how a, a, a French toy maker from the 1600s is influential in bringing these creatures you know of hell to earth which you find out in the fourth one starring Adam Scott his, in his film debut <laughs> um, you know you learn more about who Le Marchand was like he was a toy maker and it's really weird like there's a lot of really cool detail about the box how the box is is sentient in a lot of ways like there's a scene in the scarlet gospel where harry tries to stomp on it and break it but there's like a force field around it so like as his foot is coming down he kind of gets deflected away and he stomps next to it but not on it um it's very very uh interesting there's a lot of mythology there's a lot of lore um and that's what i like about this franchise like it's not just you know focusing on this one single character like nightmare on elm street is really all about freddy krueger and you know this kind of follows the the freddy krueger nightmare on elm street thing where the first two movies it's basically the same protagonist it's nancy both times and then nancy comes up in the third one uh for dream warriors for friday uh, and nightmare on elm street but it kind of branches out and shows like different aspects um, you know, different ways that, you know, the, the Cenobites reach out. Because according to, the, and you see it in the second one, there's lots of Le Marchand boxes. There's not just yeah. one. Like, because the doctor has like four or five of them under glass. And yep. in, in the Hellbound Heart, Frank talks about how, you know, he knows about multiple boxes around the world and he's trying to track them down. And there's like this really weird guy who they kind of have as like the that weird derelict who eats all the crickets um he tells them like this is how you summon the cenobites this is how you know this is what you need to have this is the type of altar you need to create this is what you need to do and you know he gets kind of into the the like what people are feeling when they first encounter the cenobites in the movie that it's they make it seem like we're coming and we're taking you forcefully. In the book, it's more like, here's the door, just walk through it and all your greatest you know, pleasures will be realized. So like, you have to voluntarily go through it. So, I mean, that's a, a slight difference from you know, how it's perceived in the books and how it's perceived in, uh, in the movies. So... You guys have anything else you'd like to add? I would like to ask everyone's favorite and least favorite Hellraiser film. So we'll start with you, Patrick. Well, I think this is, in in my opinion, I know I've gotten uh, flack from people named Dynamo Mars about this. I think the second one is the best one because um, it introduces a little bit more backstory and gives... Uh, kind of continues the, the, the movie. Like, I consider the first one and the second one to be one film. I was just going to say the same thing. Uh, my least favorite is probably Revelations, the most recent one that came out. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's not Doug Bradley 
uh, under the makeup. So that's what I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna say. Ashes. Um. Oh, favorite. No. Favorites. Difficult. It's a toss up between a couple of them, but I'm going to go with. I'll go with the first one. Um, just for the overall aesthetics and the use of practical effects in the first one is just I'm I love a good practical effect and it's just full of them and it's very gory and I love it. Um, Can I just li- piggyback one thing real quick onto no, what you said? No, you've talked enough. <laughs> well, it, well, it's about the effect. At the end of the film, when the Cenobites are sent back to hell, and they have like that weird yellow energy all over them, yes, that animation was done by hand by Clive Barker and one other guy over a weekend. Weren't they like drunk? They were hammered, stuff? and they were like basically doing this animation over the film because they didn't have any money left to uh, to pay a professional to do it. So they did it themselves over the weekend, and you know some people were complaining about it, but it's like I think it looks pretty awesome. Yeah, like it it turned out great, and I think the the yellow color really stood out. So I just wanted to add that. And your least favorite? Ashes? Uh, Revelations. Okay. For reasons. For reasons. For reasons. How about you, Melissa, our star guest? Uh, I love the first one. That's my favorite of the the whole bunch, and it's for the same reason that Ash is like it likes it. The practical effects make the movie. It makes it scarier. The one I don't like, I can't remember which one it is, but the one that they he gets them through the internet or whatever. Hell World. That was so bad. <laughs> That's the one I. It don't was like pretty. It was awful. Whole. It's like an online like. World of Warcraft thing. Yeah, it was like, what does it? I mean, I understand like the internet's a big thing right now, but don't throw it in with, with Pinhead because it, <laughs> well, this it's, is like it's like 1994 that came out or something like when the internet wasn't even like a like thing. it was it, yeah it's like it's not popular like get it out of here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just oh, sorry. Continue. Oh I'm, no, I was just gonna say it was just it, it, it's just like you know every every ser- every horror movie series there's always one that really doesn't fit with the rest and to me that's the one. Well, I think uh, the problem with this and any of these like long running um, uh, properties and franchises is you know they'll get to the point where it's like oh shit if we don't make a film our rights to the character is going to go away. So we need to pump something out real quick. I think that's where we got Leprechaun back to the hood. (laughs) Um, And then a hood again. Well, that's what I was saying. Back to... Because there's Leprechaun... Leprechaun in the hood. In the hood. And then back to... So, like, I think that's where we see some of these. And especially where only one and two for Hellraiser were in the theater. The next... Seven were straight to DVD. Straight to DVD. Wow. Now, so, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I know we have some emails. Are we going to do them after the break or before the break? Uh, We can do it after the break. Okay. Okay, well, I have a question for everyone before we go to break. If you were turned into a Cenobite, what would you look like? 
I would probably look like some sort of pastry, and I would be like a Cinnabite. <laughs> uh... Either that or people couldn't a... see me, because I would be a John Cinnabite. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Here I am thinking, oh, you know what? This is going to be a great question. People can really get creative with it. It, and would, then be similar to when, it would be similar to when Homer got his head turned into a donut, like his greatest vice. Like, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what's, what my greatest vice is. Probably snacks. So I'd probably turn into a bag of snacks or, you know, be unable to eat or something like, or be similar to, to Butterball or something like that. So what am I going to turn into? A giant blunt? <laughs> <laughs> You're just smoke. <laughs> you could never get high off of yourself. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Uh, well, what about you, Agent Nicole? I have no clue. Agent honestly. Nicole would be a, a bottle of seltzer and hot sauce. No. You love hot sauce. I do love hot sauce. I don't know. Like That's a really good question. Your tongue would be on fire, but it would never be hot enough? <laughs> Unless I lick like a gingerbread man. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh Jesus! Yeah, I probably, I guess, a hot sauce. I like, but what, like, what would be like your your specific torture? Like, I would be like, Shoot. either I could never eat, or like I could not stop eating. I don't know. Put like ghost pepper chilies in your mouth and make you suffer. No milk, no water. Just die. Eat constant burning. Burning through your whole body from. Oh, you have constant ass. fiery diarrhea. Yeah. Asshole fire burn for days. Yep. Oh. <laughs> How about you, Ashes? So, well, because that's my question, I actually thought about it for longer than two seconds. Um, so I love wearing heels. Like, the higher the heel, the better. I love them. However, like, sometimes they pinch your feet, you trip a little, your feet start to hurt. Like, it can get pretty pretty painful and, and pretty achy. So I think my ultimate torture would be having, like, my legs be, like, in permanent heels. Like, super like your sky bones high. elongated? Yeah, like, 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 my feet would be heels. Like, I would have to, like, wear heels. Like, like nails forever. driven through your feet? Yes. Yeah, like that. Or or maybe even like coinciding. So I love piercings. I love tattoos. I have several of, of each. However, I hate needles. So it's like my whole thing is if I'm going to get stuck, I want something to show for it. So like to perpetually just have like needles. I'm not talking like acupuncture, like needles, like, like full on like hardcore syringes just... Sticking out, sticking of my out arms. a random area. Well, you yeah. also don't like any eye trauma. Yeah, so you probably like, have like stitched shut eyes or some shit. I would probably have like needles going through my eyes, like oh. punctured eyes or something. <laughs> cool. I hate the word like, puncture so bad. I would want to be so incredibly like bloody and gruesome, but kind of fabulous at the same time. Well, you know what would happen if you got punctured? Then you'd have blood everywhere, and then you'd be all moist. Oh, this, wait, no, no, this is actually, this kind of touched base on something I wanted to bring up real quick about the design. I loved the fact that the Cenobites themselves, they were very um, descriptive 
and very like gory, but without being bloody and like physically bloody and gory. I don't think I they had any left. That was, <laughs> but I thought that was just such a really cool contrast to see. Like they clearly they're going through something. They're in pain. They're being tortured, but at the same time, like it. it puts the emphasis on their victims on the people that they're torturing you know they are the bloody ones they are the ones in in you know f- screaming out in physical pain right like their wounds aren't like openly like gushing blood but they're also not going to heal right i just thought that was a very cool thing you mm-hmm. know kind of like one of those it, it kind <laughs> of oh bless you um, kind of emphasized the fact that uh, the Cenobites, um, bless you, are you. are comfortable with their suffering. Like they've they've embraced their suffering versus the suffering that they are inflicting, inflicting. on their victims. It's like they have uh, mastered the art of, you know, incorporating, you know, incorporating like, like the mind over matter type. Yeah, incorporating the the pain into taking that to become pleasure. I mean, they are sadomasochists, so right. So it's like if you're going to go through all this pain, I may as well run with it and look as good as I can doing it, type of deal. How about you, Melissa? I don't think you answered the question, or did you? For no, I was I, I was kind of being facetious about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, to be honest, I don't. That's a, that is a really good question because, like, like, same thing. I like piercings. I like tattoos, and I hate needles. So I could see something. I'm always. I'm petrified of glass breaking. You'd have glass shards taken out of your face. Like yeah, glass shards getting pulled out of my body or stuck in my body in random places. You know, with the blood just like oozing out or whatever. That's like would would be because that's my biggest fear. I hate the sight of blood <laughs> i love horror movies and i hate the sight of real blood that's fair all right so i think we're gonna go ahead and bring the uh discussion to a close we'll come back uh in just a minute we'll do some uh feedback we have a couple of uh, pieces of feedback from our listeners and um uh, melissa are you gonna hang around with us till the end of the show or uh, do you have yeah to go? sure all right good So we will be back in just a moment with the remainder of the show. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and trick-or-treat radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This uh, podcast is now banned in Germany. It's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Okay. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to 
strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and TrickOrTreatRadio.com. Arrivederci, douche bags. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday on the Grand Guineal Network. Hello, this is the Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot, but you can just call me Frank. And when I'm not stomping around the woods throwing rocks at hunters, I like to listen to the Paranormal Punchers podcast. That's right, Paranormal Punchers. They talk about all things paranormal. And they're hilarious. Go find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and ParanormalPunches.com. And we're back. There's a song about Agent Nicole being ironborn. So, uh... First off, before we uh, you know start wrapping things up, I want to you know thank Melissa for coming on and, and uh, joining us and listening to our inane prattle for uh, about an hour and twenty minutes now at this point. So, <laughs> Melissa, thank you very much. You are a saint. Oh, like I said, thank you for having me, <laughs> and you're always welcome back. Yeah, we whatever will. Care to you want to talk we will about. definitely uh, be doing a Captain Spaulding episode because that's one horror series Nicole definitely enjoys. Yeah, I did like that a lot. No. And so, you know, Sid's my man. That's true. <laughs> we should also get Crazy Rachel involved because she loves Captain Spaulding as well. She does. She really does. But uh, we do have a couple pieces of feedback, and one of them is a question from our good buddy, uh, Steve Van Sampson, who was on the show with us recently discussing. Uh, what the hell did we talk about? Planet Hulk and Planet Hulk. Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. Stranger Things. That's right. I, I, there's so many episodes now. I'm trying to remember who did what. Um, so he says, hey, Throwdowners, something to ponder for your Pinhead episode. Pinhead is often mentioned in the same breath as other iconic 80s horror villains such as Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, and Jason. That said, if Kirsty Cotton is John McClane, then who is Hans Gruber? While he is the villainous mascot for the series, to me, Pinhead is more of an unstoppable force of nature than a true antagonist. In the first two films, he seems to have no agenda beyond enforcing the rules. In this diehard scenario, I see his analog as a gravity that pulls Gruber, or Uncle Frank, to his final splat. So what do you say? In the original Hellraiser, do you see Pinhead as a villain? Your horror-loving pal, Steve Van Sampson. Now, we did touch on this a little bit. Because yes. you guys were talking about how you didn't really see him as a villain, uh, but I would definitely say his, you know, the villain, the analog, is, you know, Frank for the most part. I would say, in the first film, it's eighty ten, or eighty, eighty ten uh, and ten, so eighty percent Frank, ten percent Julia, ten percent the Cenobites. I disagree. I believe, well, I was just, I'm I'm trying to formulate my thought here. I don't want to just mumble on air like some people. Um, Oh, burn. (laughs) Um, No, I I think I I disagree with you. I know I disagree with you. I don't think. I know. Um, The first one, it's uh, Julia. 
It's Julia. Julia could have said no. She could have told her husband what was going on, and that could have been the end. The Cenobites could have come, taken Frank away, and they would have washed their hands of the entire situation. Julia's the one who started the affair. She could have said no, but she didn't. Yeah. But Julia's Julia. She's Frank, the bad guy. Julia is the Hans too. Gruber. Frank did pull a knife on her. Not to say that she didn't. In the book, okay, the way their relationship is described, and again, I know you haven't read it, so it, you don't have this to go by. This is why I'm basing it the way I did. So there's no wrong answer to this. Um, it, their sexual encounter is described as other than the fact that she consented that it was a rape like it had all the 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 characteristics of a non-consensual sexual encounter but she consented like that's how Clive Barker describes their relationship that to me says that Frank coerced her and Frank was, like, the real bad guy for this. In the second one, it's absolutely Julia. Like, not even the doctor. Like, Julia takes over that role and is just terrible. She is, like, pure evil. But I think Frank forces her to be evil. That's how I looked at it. Okay. Well, I disagree. That's fine. You can disagree. I don't think she was forced to be evil. I think she found it enjoyable. She was basically controlled by desire. He was giving Almost. her an excuse to be evil. Yeah. You know, Frank was... He, ultimately, he was an enabler. Yeah, like, he allowed her... If it wasn't for him, she never would have explored these dark recesses of her personality. Right. So, but I do think he definitely... She needed a little bit more than a nudge. You know... She needed, uh, you know, his like because he's pure sociopath. I think she was kind of dabbling as a sociopath. She didn't really want to do it. She was afraid. Like, you know, when you see her bringing guys home for Frank to kill, like she's not wholeheartedly into it. But ultimately she did it because she loved him. Right. You know the, you know, what does Jamie Lannister say? The things we do for love. <laughs> so, what about you, there, uh, Agent Giggles? What did you think? I I honestly don't think Pinhead is evil. Well, from the first film, it's all Frank, Frank and Julia. So yeah, there you go. Simple. How about you, uh, Melissa? <laughs> I kind of agree with her because without everything that Frank and Julia did that went about Pinhead and the Cenobites to, you know, wreak havoc and do what they did to try and get them back. That's fair. And again, like, there's no incorrect answer. This is all your interpretation of how you perceive the events. So, um, so yeah, I thought that was a pretty good question from Steve. Um, thank you, Steve. Yep. And, uh, Pick up the Bone Eater King wherever fine books are sold. And Marrow Dust. And Marrow Dust. 
wherever fine fine books are sold. Amazon. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, Steve's house. He's probably got some books. Swing by, grab some books from him. You know, call ahead first. <laughs> Steve's a busy guy. Um, so we do have one other bit of feedback, and this is from our good friend of the show and good friend of uh, Trick or Treat Radio as well, first time Mike. And he says, hello, everybody. It's your pal from Wisconsin, the ever-loving first time Mike. A hearty hello to Melissa. Nice to hear you on the episode this morning. I hope everybody had a great holiday season. Mine was pretty awesome. Thanks for asking. Pinhead is a great horror icon. I've seen all the Hell- Hellraiser films, even Revelations, which was pure garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Pinhead is the anchor of the Hellraiser-, Hellraiser films, and Doug Bradley does a fantastic job, even when he has basically a cameo in some of the films, which he does. The Pinhead of Hellraisers 1 and 2 is my favorite. An austere force of nature bound by the laws of hell for whom every opening of the box is his duty. That pinhead is best summoned by two lines from Hellraiser 2. It is not hands that summon us, it is desire, and we have such sights to show you. I just want to say, like, a lot of times when first time Mike sends in feedback... It's very poetic. Well, not only that, like, he touches on a lot of the stuff that we talked about in in the show. So I just want to say first time Mike, great minds clearly think alike. From 1989 to 1995, Epic Comics produced several Clive Barker properties including Hellraiser. The Pinhead in these comics is one of my favorite versions of him. The Epic Comics Hellraiser mythos revolved around the order and around order and chaos with the Cenobites being the servants of order fighting a war on the chaos of the flesh. Chaos and flesh both capitalized. The Pinhead was the high priest and leader of the Cenobite army, the favored son and lover of Leviathan. While there is more mockery and manipulation in this version of the Cenobite, ultimately he is a loyal servant of hell. Pinhead disdains the worship and awe of his fellow Cenobites, saying there can be only one god in hell. There are several reprints of this series in various editions by Boom Comics and Checker Books. Of special note is the Pinhead miniseries from 1993. The six-issue Epic Comics miniseries takes Pinhead on the ultimate journey through his past lives. From the Wild West to the Dawn of Man, Pinhead has to inhabit his past incarnations to find out who is unmasking the Cenobite, who is unmaking the Cenobite Order. It's harder to find, but well worth seeking out for an interesting read. Thanks, as always, for listening to me ramble. So until Benedict Cumberbatch plays Pinhead's brother Pencil Thin, make mine Throwdown Thursday. <laughs> Your pal, first time Mike. Well, thank you, first time Mike. It's always well, nice to hear from you. I mean, if um, Benedict Cumberbatch goes into the Pinhead series, I might reconsider. But then, other than that, no. We have such penguins to show you. I mean, he played in in theater a really creepy fucker of Frankenstein, like with uh, Johnny Lee Miller, both Sherlock's on, on theater. But yeah, and he was really gruesome, so maybe... I'd be down for that. Okay. Well, I uh, I think with that being said, we're going to... No. No, we're not. No. The did battles are back. Yeah. What the fuck, right. dude? Right. Did you let me finish my sentence? No, because... No, you didn't. <laughs> we... You're done talking. We can talk now. Wow, that's like so fucked up. <laughs> that's so rude. <laughs> I was just going to say, we can get to some battle results. Mm. I know, Ashes, you were uh, you were going over that earlier today so he was totally not i totally was you uh, try to edit it no because we also have to talk about what we're doing next week because we have another special guest Stuff. next week 
stuff. We're doing things. stuff. Um, so yeah, the battles are back for 2018. Our first battle of the year was our Daredevil Drive debacle. We had Baby Driver from Baby Driver versus the Driver from Drive. 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 Ryan Gosling. Johnny Driveson. <laughs> and Frank Martin from The Transporter. Transporter. And in an astounding upset, upset, wow, <laughs> upset, Frank Martin won. He's oh, the yeah, that's who flower. I voted for. Oh, yeah, and this was, um, uh, they were driving on Rainbow Road. Yes, from Mario he got Kart. the Flower yes. Cup. Yep, he got, uh, he got driving around Rainbow Road. So uh, who did you choose, Patsy? I chose Frank Martin. Why? Because I love the Transporter films. I've seen three of the four. I haven't seen the new one with Frank Martin Jr. It just didn't interest me. Um, but the first couple are really good. Uh, they've got some great fight scenes, some uh, really good driving scenes. Frank uh, is a little bit like Batman, where he has a set of rules that he always sticks to. And he's creepy as fuck. His, uh, his, and he the, talks like this. The French policeman that's in it uh, is awesome. Uh, he does a really cool... Uh, yeah, I like the relationship that they have. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I, I enjoyed that. Um, I think Baby Driver is a better film. Um. But the the opening scene of, of the transporter, very similar to Baby Driver, you know, where there's a lot of like, you know, police chase and whatnot. Um, this one is probably, you know, I, I got to go Frank Martin. What about you, Agent Nicole? I picked Baby from Baby Driver. I've seen Frank and the transporter. It's okay. But um, for me, I think... Baby Driver would know all the shortcuts to Rainbow Road. Like, who doesn't know the shortcuts to Rainbow Road? I think he would he would be a better driver, and I think he would... Obviously, he'll have a killer playlist with him, and plus the music of uh, Mario Kart. I just... I think he's a little bit better. But obviously, I that's my opinion, so... I chose the same for pretty much the same reason. High um, five! I chose... Baby from Baby Driver. I thought that being younger, he would be able to manipulate the or I'm sure he go would. through the course and stuff better. Yeah. Um. I just think he's a really talented driver. And again, uh, going with the soundtrack, I thought he would be able to take the music from Rainbow Road mm-hmm. and use that to his advantage. Yeah, I agree. That's fair. Melissa, you want to weigh in on that? I don't know if you got a chance to vote or not. Um, I didn't, but I, I kind of agree with them with about Baby from Baby Driver. Um, the no. music, I, 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 I get more amped up and I can focus better on things when I'm listening to music. Now, have you so, seen the other films? I've seen, I've seen them multiple times okay. because it took me a couple of times to get through Baby Driver because I kept falling asleep, but... <laughs> <laughs> But once I finally did watch the whole thing, I, you know, I liked how, you know, he threw the headphones in and, like, helped him focus on doing what he needed to do to get the mm-hmm. job done. That film just got nominated for four Oscars. Yeah, we uh, we covered that last week. So if you're interested in our thoughts on that, because we have some interesting theories on, you know, what the music means to him. So if you're interested, you can check that out if, you know, folks at home haven't heard 
the episode is called Baby, You Can Drive My Car. I that <laughs> nice. Was, uh, and we have the heist list on Spotify if you want to listen That's to That's true. Our... We have our, uh, that was one of our, our, our segments. We talked about what we would listen to if we were the getaway driver in a heist. So check that out. And uh, but you know what? That's the past. What are we doing next week, Agent Nicole? What are we? Who are we covering? It's a character you've recently come into contact with. Another uh, first-time watch for you. Yes, we're going to talk about Dwight K. Schrute from The Office. False black bear. Yes, the uh, beet farmer extraordinaire, uh, Dwight K. Schrute. The Bears, top beets battle. The top salesman of the Dunder Mifflin Scranton branch, assistant to the regional manager, and uh, we will also be joined by a special guest. Uh, you know him from uh, multiple music videos featuring Ashes. Uh, it's our good buddy Nick Ferrar. And uh, yeah, so if you are a fan of The Office, or at least Dwight Schrute, uh, I did reach out to Rain Wilson. I never heard anything back, so I was kind of hoping, you know, either he would get back to me or Ray Park would talk to him. Uh, oh my god! You know, I am hell bent on getting Ray Park on this show. If he ever listens to this show, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not. So again, Melissa, thank you very much for joining us this week. Yes, thank you so thank much. You so much. We no, will again, certainly thank you have you on again. And you have something that you're working on. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Or is it kind of hush-hush for right now? Um, it's actually not hush-hush. Um, I'm working with 990 WBOB here in Rhode Island. And I'm going to be putting out my own show um, within the next two to three weeks. Um, I'm going to start with one of their one of their baby babies, which is House of Horrors. We're going to do our first show with that. Um, my good friend Maddie Fisher is going to join in and be my co-host. So we're going to kind of use that as a platform for, you know, all of my film industry friends to, you know, promote their movies and what they've got going on. You know, try and get some interviews in there with people we come across, you know, the celebrities we come across at the conventions and whatnot. And have you guys on. You can be my, my co-host one night. Be fun. And, you know, I'll even let you guys pick the guest. Oh, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm so excited that you have the opportunity to do this because you are very knowledgeable when it comes to the horror genre and you are such a kick-ass person. It's so personable. Yes. Oh, thank you. I love you guys. You guys are great. So it's easy to it's easy to be personable when the people around you are the same way as you. I know. Right. We need to come down and karaoke with you sometime. Yes. <laughs> or I can, or I can come down there and we can go karaoke. Oh yeah. Either way. I mean, you're not, you're not that far from us. So We're right uh, off 146. Nope. We'll, we'll yeah, make the drive. 45 minutes to an hour tops. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll have to come party with you some Thursday night. Oh, absolutely. I'll, uh, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Ashes can sit and have some Jameson and ginger ales together. Oh, now you're talking my language. <laughs> well, I think with uh, with all that being said, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. And uh, as usual, Agent Nicole, we will <laughs> see you next Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>